Thank you, Luca. Lovely to be back in Sunningdale AM. This is where it all started for me 11 and a half years ago. I remember Uncle Will Broadenette and I, we were sitting on the front row and uh, the announcements, family news happened. And then hundreds of people just walked past us and were going, what is happening here? You know, kind of, do you not sit on your hands during worship and look miserable like everybody else? You know, so it all started then, and it's great to be back. Wonderful to be with Lucas and Annie and the, all the elder couples and you here uh, today. A lot has changed in 11 and a half years. Look at the size of that font. You know, heck, you could probably even read my notes from, from where you're sitting in the back row. Yeah, so when you get over 50, yeah, you, you know, yeah, you're no longer middle-aged. You know, you meet all these people who say, what are you? well, I'm middle-aged, I'm 50-something. Hey, that means you're going to live to 100 and something? I don't think so. Yeah, we're on the way out. So, you know, just get used to it. You're going to see Jesus soon. Yeah, yeah. But it is really good to be here today and good to be uh, hearing those prophetic words about the Lord being our provider. And you know, at these times, right across the world, more so in Europe, they are some of the most challenging times for people, for the average saints living in their homes. And, but even in South Africa, I mean, the cost of living, have we got a PowerPoint here this morning? The cost of living crisis is, you can go to the next slide. The cost of living crisis is wild. Even I was speaking to somebody, they said, well, bread used to be like 10 Rand a loaf, it's something like 19. They were saying butter prices has gone up from this to this. I mean, your fuel is almost as expensive as our fuel. Have you noticed that? At the pumps, even when we were planning this conference, that was one of the things that Andrew was very cognizant of, that we want to make the conference accessible to as many people as possible. And so going up and down to Malmesbury a couple of times a day would, would mean that people would be really strained in their finances. And I know that we have actually been able to help people even to get conference tickets because the, you know, the financial climate is pinching on very many interest rates, inflation. And then, of course, if you're in Europe, we are thankfully on the very far side of Europe. But if you're in Europe at the moment, the Ukraine conflict is dominating all of our news. It may not be dominating your news, but it's certainly impacting your economy. Would you agree? Yeah. And so it's, it's pretty wild. And Mr. Putin, he's just brought up 300,000 conscripts, many of those conscripts fleeing Russia because they know what's, they're going to be cannon fodder if they go into Ukraine. So many trying to flee. I noticed on the news this morning that one of the leaders in the Caucasus, uh, the Chechen leader, he's saying to Putin, you just need to use nuclear weapons if they take any more cities. So it's, it's really challenging times at the moment. And, and the reality is that bad news sells. Right? The only way the media can keep going is if they put bad news on our screens, on our laptops, and on our newspapers. And so the media, if you're reading the media every day, well, I can tell you, you're going to get depressed because it's without hope. It's a, it's a clickbait to try to get you to pull in, to hear something more depressive. 
uh, to keep you going today. And I really do think that we are in a season when it's like the beginning of the pandemic. You know, certainly in our context, I was telling our congregations, you need to maximize God's Word and you need to minimize the media. You need to maximize God's Word and you need to minimize the media. Like, when I woke up this morning, I mean, I'm a, I am a news freak. Am I going to go to God's Word? Am I going to have my quiet time? Or am I going to see what's on the news? Well, I can tell you, I'm, I'm not a prophet. But I can tell you, it's bad news is on news. Because bad news sells. And it feels like the world is shaking. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, we read, but we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that's such an encouraging word for us. As everything financially and economically and food prices and our fuel price, everything, like I am paying how much per month for heating my house, not electricity, heating my house. 5,000 rand a month heating my house. Okay. So things are wild at the moment. Everything is being shaken at the moment, but we actually belong to a different kingdom. And that kingdom in some measure has already come and it advances through the church and we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so that's why it's so important, church, that we daily build our lives on the rock. Because I can tell you storms are going to come. Florida's just experienced some of its worst storms ever. Storms are going to come. And we need to make sure that we build our lives on the rock. And of course, building our lives on the rock isn't simply building our lives on Jesus. It's actually building our lives on obedience to Jesus. So like today, you'll hear this message, and it is a word from the Lord to us today. And there are going to be wise people here today, and there are going to be foolish people. And the difference between the wise and the foolish person wasn't what they heard, but what they did. But the great news is that Jesus says, okay, in this world you're going to have troubles. You don't see many fridge magnets like that. You know, I, I was in America recently, Hobby Lobby's a big American store that's very Christianese, and all of these like... Uh, pictures and paintings for your home with Bible verses and things like that. But I didn't see a single one that said, in this world, you will have trouble. But the good news today is Jesus says, take courage, for I have overcome the world. And so as followers of Jesus, uh, in our hearts today, we echo the words of Paul, an apostle, who in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12, all the good verses are 4.12, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. You see, this secret in troubled times, Cliffy, doesn't come through the laying on of hands. He says, I have learned the secret. I've, I've disciplined myself. You know, I, I've, I've got under uh, God's word. I've, I'm connected with Jesus. I'm connected with family. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so that was his perspective. He had an eternal perspective. He knew who his provider was. He knew who his God was. And it is a bit like the time of the 12 spies. Do you remember the 12 spies that went into Canaan? 
Did anybody go to a good Sunday school that taught the chorus about the 12 spies? No? Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. Ten were, oh my goodness. I'm going to teach you a new worship song today, yeah. Ten were bad, two were good, yes. And so we, we need to, we're all seeing the same thing across the world today, but we need to learn the secret of what the Lord's report is about what we are seeing. And so 10 of the spies, all they could see was problems, giants, difficulties. Let's hit pause on expansion. We're going to go, I mean, have you seen what's in there? Have you heard what they're saying? That's just a hit of pause. A bit like during the pandemic. Many churches all around South Africa hit the pause button. See you, we, you know, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when. But when Andrew was leading us as a, as a partnership, Andrew was saying, don't hit the pause button. This is going to be a, an opportunity. Every obstacle creates an opportunity. And so what we have seen across Southern Africa, you know, among Just Jen and our 412 partnering churches, has been expansion during the most difficult times. And so two could come back with a very different report, actually with God on our side. You know, we could take this. We can do this because of what God has said. And I think in these days we need to learn that. Guys, you're very white today. Can I have an amen? Okay, okay. So what is God's report when everything around us is shaking? And we're going to maybe drill into this psalm a little bit today. Psalm 92, verses 12 and 14. But the godly will what? The godly will? The godly will? Now in the back row, the godly will? like palm trees, and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. Now, we're going to unpack this promise today, but it's not a great promise. No matter what's happening all around us, the godly will, okay, the godly will flourish. Not flounder, not flap about, but the godly are going to flourish. Even as we have seen for Joshua Generation Church during a pandemic, that this church flourished. It faced the same challenges as everybody else, but didn't hit the pause button, was led by the Spirit, and knew what the promises of God were. So Psalm 92 is a psalm for a Sunday or a Sabbath. It's a psalm when everybody comes together, and they're going to worship the Lord, and then they're hearing the Word of the Lord, and that's what's happening at the moment. Now, what we need to understand that is this is not heaven. Now, I know I saw the mountain, okay, the table, all that type of thing. I saw the blue skies today. Um, hopefully, we're going to go out for a drive this afternoon. It's going to be beautiful, almost as beautiful as the Isle of Man. But this is not heaven, okay? This is not the kingdom in its This is not the kingdom because the king is not ruling here on earth. You know that. I mean, Satan is the ruler of this world. And that's why the church, as it advances, is taking back his territory and his domain. And so we need to remember that the context that we're in is is a challenging one. It's one of blessings. It's one of battles. And just before Jesus was going to go to the cross, 
for you and for me. Listen to what he said to his disciples. John 17 and verse 15. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. Let me read it again. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. You know, a lot of Christians, when hard times come, all of a sudden it's like Star Trek Christianity. You know Star Trek Christianity? Beam us up, Scotty. You know, it's like, beam us up, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Batten down the hatches. Take us out of here. But that isn't the way of Jesus. And he doesn't promise that we will be isolated from storms. But to a degree, I think we can see here that there's an insulation that comes. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. He's not going to remove us from problems and from trials and from difficulties because often He uses those things to shape our characters. But in the trials and the difficulties and in the storms, there is a degree of insulation that we would be protected from the evil one. And so today I want to think about what can flourishing look like? Storms are here. Storms are coming Storms will go, new storms will come again. But in this season, when it seems as if globally now the world is being battered, what, does, what can flourishing look like? And I'm just going to put one lens on it. Of course, flourishing can look like, you know, your deepening walk with Jesus, you know, flowing more in the gifts of the Spirit and all those types of things, loving people, hospitality. But let me just look at one aspect of flourishing. First of all, flourishing, um, well, what does it look like? Well, there's light where there is darkness. That's what flourishing looks like. Just imagine what it must have looked like for the Hebrew people in Egypt. I've been there five times. I've led five outreach teams there. I mean, for 430 years, they're in slavery. They're being beaten and whipped. Now their babies are being exterminated. It is wild. And God sends plague upon plague to that nation. And finally, there's going to be this plague, the death of the first born, okay? It is wild times. But you know what? For God's people, it wasn't that they were isolated, but they were insulated because we read in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 23, during all that time, people could not see each other. Sounds like the pandemic. And no one moved, <laughs> but there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. Isn't that wonderful? In Goshen, that was where they were living, there was a light. What must have the satellite imagery have looked like for Egypt at that time? Darkness, 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 okay? Misery, misery, weeping and wailing and groaning. But the Bible says in Goshen, there was a light, a glorious light. It wasn't for everybody, but it was for the people of God. It reminds me of Matthew picking up Isaiah the prophet's words, that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light was shining. Now, the reality is, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Darkness is going to come upon us at various times in our lives. But equally, God promises the presence of the light of the world 
in our darkest times. The psalmist talks about shadow valleys. And in the shadow valleys, in dark valleys, he says, you are with me. The famous American preacher Donald Barnhouse, I think he was a Presbyterian, his wife died at a very young age. He had a number, I think three children when his wife died. And imagine they go to the cemetery, they bury his wife, and they're driving home on the freeway. Barnhouse doesn't know what to say when suddenly a great juggernaut comes hurtling past their um, car. And suddenly the shadow of the juggernaut falls over the car. And actually everybody he says in the car jumps. And then it was like a word from the Lord. And he says, to his, as he's driving, he says to his children, children, would you rather be run over by that juggernaut or by its shadow? And the kids said, of course, we'd rather be run over by its shadow. And that's what he talks to, to his children about, because for the, even, even death for the follower of Jesus, even the darkest time is actually only a shadow. You see, the difference for followers of Jesus isn't the absence of the shadows, but the presence of the shepherd. And so, flourishing can look like lights, even in the darkest of times. At the moment, I'm leading a congregation as well as doing everything else. And I love leading a congregation because you actually get to be with the sheep again. <laughs> And you go through them in their highest moments when their babies are born. And you are with the congregation during the most difficult times. And I've only been back from the U.S. for three weeks. And I had funerals to be involved in. But it was amazing going to families where Jesus was at the center. And families saying, like, I don't know how anyone could go through this if it wasn't for the presence of the shepherd. And so whatever your darkness is today, whether it's despair or depression or it's, it's been the death of a, of a loved one, you know, the light of the world, Jesus wants to manifest his presence amongst us. I think that's what it looks like to flourish, yeah? Light where there's darkness. Can I have a drink of water? Okay, let's look at another picture of what it looks like to flourish. Because the, the godly, the righteous will flourish. A feast where there's a famine, that's what it looks like. When you're flourishing, the Lord can provide a feast where there's a famine. You remember the story of the prodigal? The younger son gets his inheritance. He goes off to the far off country. He squanders all his money. Famine hits the land. He's eating the pig swill. Um, there's no flying food in from the other part of the world or anything like that. I mean, the things are desperate. We read in Luke 15, I've got verse 14 and 23. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And later it says, the, the father says, kill the fatted calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. But of course, in this story, there's another character, isn't there? There's the, 
the older brother, and he's kind of miserable, so and so, you know, what does he say? Well, come off with that. I mean, you haven't slaughtered anything for me and my friends. I'm sure he's thinking as well. I mean, come on, Dad. I mean, everybody around us is starving. And like, this is very opulent. This is kind of, I mean, you're putting on this show of, of kind of killing the fatted calf, a bit like when the alabaster box is, is broken. I think it's a bit like that. Come on, those with the religious spirit are saying, but that would be a year's wages. What a waste. But in God's economy, things work differently. And when there is a famine everywhere in the Father's house, there's a feast. Do you remember during COVID? When there was a, a famine everywhere and doom and gloom, bad news everywhere, still there was provision in the Father's house. As I said to you recently, I'm just back from the U.S. I just thought I would send you a photograph today. And a lovely lady in the church who sees herself as uh, somebody who supports ministry. Like Jesus had a number of ladies around him who made sure that Jesus was looked after. Well, this lady wanted to make sure that a few of us were looked after. And she, so she took us out to a restaurant and literally she said, don't embarrass me by ordering something small on the menu. I would never offend an older lady. <laughs> yeah. And so I scoured the menu and I found a 33-ounce tomahawk. What? One kilo tomahawk steak. But here's the problem. When she said, you know, I mean, I've got a daughter at university. I've got bills coming in, a car needing repaired. You know, I can tell you, when she said, like, I'm going to take you out for a meal, no expense spared, I'm sitting thinking, and I, I think I might even have said to my wife, if she just give me the cash, we'll go to McDonald's, buy a Big Mac meal, and we'll pocket the difference. We'll pay some bills when we get back. And so I discovered within me there was something of an older brother spirit. There was something of a poverty spirit because of the challenges that were coming against me. I, I, I'd forgotten that actually the godly will flourish. I'd forgotten that there's a light when there's darkness everywhere else. I'd forgotten that there can be a feast in God's house when there's a famine all around us. Yeah. And so I ate every single part. You know, sometimes an elder or somebody functioning apostolically needs to come in and rebuke other elders. So I'm going to do that this morning. Because Andrew Selly was sitting at the same table as me. Chaz, I think, was at the same table. And a number of elders, who now will remain nameless, asked, asked for little doggy bags to take home. Because they couldn't finish their meat. Come on, Andrew. Eat your vegetables. And we'll give you your meat. I mean, he's got a conference all week to get payback on me. Yeah, yeah. But it is true that even for me, when this lady wanted, as in the ministry of Jesus, wanted to bless me and to be generous, my paradigm wasn't that there's a, there could be a feast in God's house. 
when there's a famine everywhere else. And I believe the Lord needed to help me to be able to realize that in his economy, one kilo tomahawk steaks are available. I don't know when I'm going to eat the next one, but they were available at, at that time, yes. I mean, I love what uh, David says in Psalm 37 and verse 5. Once I was young, now I'm old, I'm 54, past mid-age, okay? I'm no longer middle-aged. I've just lost half the congregation, <laughs> especially the women, yes. Yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Jehovah Jireh, isn't that right? That was one of the prophetic words. And so Jesus is our provider. Spiritually every day, everything we need for life and godliness is found in him. All our provision is found in him. And then just lastly, a third lens on what it can look like to flourish is that there's abundance where there is lack. Now, the first lens I gave you, there is light where there's... Okay, let me just check that one out. There's light where there's... Okay, and then there's a feast where there's a... And then thirdly, there's abundance. There can, there can be abundance actually where there is lack. And in Egypt, there was a great famine that was coming on to Egypt. Do you remember Joseph had the, the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams about the seven? This is the word I can't say in South Africa. You're finding it difficult enough with my accent. Cows, C-O-W, cows, yeah, cows, yeah, okay. So there were... You know, the fat cows, skinny, okay, you're treating it now, cows, C-O-W, that's the proper way to say it, okay. And, uh, but God, there was abundance where there was lack, but God. It says in Genesis 41, 48 and 49, during those days, or those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, have you, do you ever realize this verse was in the Bible? Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Let me just, let's just think that. I mean, God's economy, what it can look like. Finally, like all this seed grains coming in. I mean, he is a diligent man. He's, he's, a, he's a chartered accountant. He's crossed all his T's. He's dotted all his I's. I mean, he's been put in. He, he can't pretend there isn't a balance sheet or anything like that. He's very diligent. But even such a diligent person, it eventually comes that, no, God's provision is just too abundant. We're just going to stop counting. There's just too much. I mean, what must have every nation around them thought? Like, what is going on there? And eventually, every nation started to send people to the place where God was providing for His people. Even though it was a pagan nation, as, like Daniel, Joseph, like cream, was rising to the top. 
And, and just as Daniel had done, anywhere that he was positioned, he was carrying the favor and the blessing of God, even to this pagan employer, even to this pagan pharaoh. So how did they get to the place whereby, like, there's just so much to count? I don't know how you, who counts your offering in the morning, but imagine, Lucas, the, your offering team is counting here in the morning. They just look at it, and they say, we're going to have to get the biggest security company with armed guards to just come and take this away. We're just going to give, it's just, it's just going to take too long to count it. Because God has just blessed us, provided for us, not so that we get bigger, but actually so, as Uncle Will would say, we are a wet pipe through which actually we can sow into and resource and help others. God goes ahead of his people. I know that you have a, an alms fund here, and you've got the pantry in uh, Joshua Generation Church. And I know for us as well, I mean, during the pandemic, I think even though Living Hope's only eight congregation, I think we sowed about a million rand or more in the, in the families uh, within the church during the pandemic. Now, where did that provision come from? In 2008, they had what was called the credit crunch. <laughs> okay, that was another financial crisis. And one, uh, somebody in our church actually came to me during 2008 and says, Jonathan, I think during the credit crunch, people are going to find it difficult to pay their bond. So what I want to do is give you, the church, a million rand so that you can help people pay their bonds. Now, the reality was in 2008, it didn't really hit us as badly as we thought. We needed very little of that. And so other people started adding to it. And then when it came to the pandemic, suddenly, like God had gone ahead of us, a bit like Joseph, you know, he'd been storing, storing, storing. And then suddenly when people are saying, I can't pay my bond for three months or I've been made unemployed or whatever, I mean, there wasn't a, oh, a poverty spirit, you know, uh, well, we'll help you sell your house or whatever, you know. Actually, we were able to help people. And, and I do sense that, you know, over the next couple of years, I'm not being a negative person prophet. But I am sensing over the next few years, it is going to be a bit of a challenge again. And what I'm really trusting is that in our congregations, equally once again, we'll see men and women who have been blessed by God, not building an extension onto their house, but men and women who've been blessed by God, actually coming to lead elders like Lucas and saying, you know what, we want to sow into the pantry fund. I mean, I'm flourishing, but I'm not flourishing so that I, I can get bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm flourishing in order to help the family of God. And when we say that Jehovah is our provider, yes, he miraculously brought bread and meat. I love that verse in the Psalms where it says he rained meat on them. Yeah. Not vegetables. He rained <laughs> meat on them in the wilderness. But I love that. And sometimes it is that miracle thing. I remember we have a, a TV show called Air Hunters, H-E-I-R. So whether you're under, you know what an heir is, somebody who's getting an inheritance. And, and in our jurisdiction, if somebody dies without a will and there's no family, you've got 10 years to 
claim the money, otherwise it goes to the government. And I remember there's this TV show about um, lawyers that, and, and detectives that do this. And so they'll phone you up and, and they'll get a share of the money. So I remember Annette will tell you, we were sitting in our house and I get the phone call. Are you Jonathan George Stanfield? Yes, I'm Jonathan. Yeah. Have you seen the TV show Air Hunters? Yes, I've seen. I mean, yeah, yeah I have. Is the Pope Catholic? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we believe that we have an inheritance for you. So after we go for 30 minutes talking about everything, about my mother, and was your mother, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we're in the money, we're in the money. I mean, I had it spent whilst I was on the telephone. Yes, yes, okay. And then about 29 minutes into the conversation, and your mother's brother, I said, no, my mother hasn't, didn't have a brother. Oh, you're the wrong Jonathan Stanfield. They put the phone down on me. Yeah, <laughs> they put the phone down on me. But sometimes you can get an inheritance like that. But actually, the normative it isn't, you know, I'm just often, you know, it's the way of the church. It's the way of the church that actually, we'll look at this in a moment. And I'm sure even as I speak now that God is starting to move in people's hearts, that this is the way of the church, that there can be abundance where there is lack, but actually because the church is the bride of Christ and the church is functioning as the church. And so in the months ahead, my word to you is maximize God's word, maximize the promises of God, minimize the fear-mongering of the media. And listen to the experience of the early church because they had famines. It wasn't that they were isolated from famines. In fact, in Jerusalem, they had a famine. But they worked as one big church, one big apostolic field. And Paul writing to the church in 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, commending the Macedonians who had given so generously, said, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You see, we often maybe stop the verse there. <laughs> You'll always have everything you need. No, no, but you'll have plenty left over to share with others. It's like the feeding of the 5,000, or probably more like 20,000, 5,000 men, wives, and kids. Five loaves and two fishes, we bring it to Jesus, and in his hands it is blessed. And there's 12 basketfuls, or the 4,000. In Jesus' hands it's blessed, and there's seven basketfuls. This is just the economy of the kingdom. It isn't a prosperity gospel. It's actually a providing gospel. Providing for others. Caring for others. That there's abundance where there's lack so that we can be God's hands and feet to others. So how do we position ourselves to flourish? Would you like to know that? Okay, with the three people who said yes, just meet me for coffee. Right, the, okay, how do we position ourselves to flourish? Let me read Psalm 92, 12 to 14. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted into the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. 
even in old age, even as a 54-year-old, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. You know, for us to flourish, it's so important to find the right soil. And here the psalmist talks about you need to get, because we're not in God's kingdom. We're, we're in the kingdom of the prince of this air. And so we need to get transplanted into God's house, into the soil that's healthy. You know, I, I don't have many vices. My only vice is I have a vegetable plot. Okay, that's what all people do. Yeah. So I have a vegetable plot and a greenhouse, and Andrew laughs at me, you know, such an old man I am. And normally I grow tomatoes in our greenhouse. We're going into autumn now, or fall. It's the opposite of where you are. But I can tell you this year, my, like, my tomatoes were nothing, you know, because I went to the local, this local store, got soil, put the soil down to help my tomatoes, and all, this soil just seemed to be impregnated with every type of weed under the sun. And everything in my greenhouse was growing except for the tomatoes. Okay. Soil's everything. And that's why it's so important. You know, you can't hop from one place of soil to, I mean, every time you take a pot plant and you take it out and you put it somewhere else and you put its roots down and then you say two weeks later, oh, let's move it again. You know, you, all you're doing is damaging. That's why you need to be planted. Not just coming once, once a few weeks or coming on a Sunday morning. We need to be planted 24-7 in that soil in order to flourish. We have a dairy farmer in our church who keeps those C-O-W-S and milks them, yeah. And uh, he also has an orchard. And last January on the Isle of Man, there were huge storms. Not as bad as Florida, but there were huge storms. And he told me that he was shocked because one of the apple trees right in the middle of the orchard actually was blown over in the storm. That's not it. That's a, we'll look at that in a minute. One of the apple trees was blown over. And I said, how does that happen? I mean, there's the orchard, and there's the apple tree, and it looks like it's... And he said, you know what, Jonathan, the problem was apple trees, not only do you get their roots, these apple trees, the roots down, but out. And when he looked at the root system, it hadn't pushed out and connected to all the other apple trees around it. And so when the storm came, those other apple trees that were all heavily connected, they withstood the storm. They were well planted. Because it's not just the soil you're going into, because we're all living stones, aren't we? We're living stones. God is building a temple in which you'd live by His Spirit. And so the, the danger for us is, you know, we can come, you could be right there sitting in the middle of this congregation Sunday by Sunday, you're faithfully coming, but, it, but the reality is you're not actually planted. You're not connected. You know, Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Because this is the ways of God. Over breakfast, MC, or last night, or somebody said, what are you speaking about? And I said, well, I think I'm speaking about how that God's going to use a lot of wealthy pay people to help those without wealth provide for their need. <laughs> I know God will do miracles as well and may release things and inheritances. But we need to be connected, and we need to be connected. 
they get the benefit of that. And so here in the psalm, the psalmist talks about those who are planted in God's house, you can put the slide up now, yeah, are like the cedar trees of Lebanon. These trees are huge. They are strong. <laughs> yeah. Even in the flag of Lebanon today, right in the center of the flag, you'll see it's the cedar tree. These are the trees that were actually used in the construction of the temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, and then they were covered with gold. And, and that's, what, that's what it's going to look like. Again, it doesn't mean the storms won't come. It doesn't mean the trials won't come. It doesn't mean you won't have dark valleys of depression, depression despair, doubt, even death coming down. But they will remain strong. Actually, you'll be able to help build God's house. Once you get planted, you'll not just be a spectator on a Sunday. You'll be like a cedar tree. You'll be strong. You'll be a pillar if you get planted, if you'll devote yourself in God's house. And then also he talks about how that they will be like palm trees. As I said, I've taken about five outreach teams to Egypt. We've done the whole Sinai, followed the uh, Hebrew slaves to the Red Sea, didn't try to walk on the water, but went through under the Suez Canal, went out to Mount Sinai, climbed the mountain, all those types of things. And you will see clusters of date palms, like it is a desert. Nothing else is growing there. How come these guys are growing? How come these date palms providing dates, or maybe figs was the prophetic word, yeah. How come in a, in a desert you, you still have something which is living, bearing fruits. Well, they learn how to get their roots deep. It's so important that we put our roots out to others, but actually we need to also learn how to get our roots deep. California is still in a, in a drought, and Orange County is called Orange County because of oranges. <laughs> yeah. But what the orange tree owners do is that periodically they, well, they have an irrigation. First of all, they have an irrigation system for the trees, yeah? So from little saplings, they will be given plenty of water, especially in the early years. But then as the tree starts to grow, what the, what the owners start to do is they turn off the water supply. And do you know what happens when they turn off the water supply? Mm, they're forced to put their roots down deep. Then they turn the water supply on again. Okay, we're okay. And then in another season, they turn off the water supply, and then the roots go deeper. And, deep. and that's the way they live. And I actually think that's the way that God shapes you and shapes me. He takes his sons and daughters to the wilderness. I mean, Elijah, he goes out into the wilderness, doesn't he? So many of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist in the wilderness. Israel, my son, is in the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness. Even Paul goes into the wilderness, the desert of Arabia. But it's in these times that God shapes his sons and his daughters. It's not that we're isolated from the storms, but in these times, he allows us to learn how to put our roots deep into the water, into the soil, into the nutrients. That's what we need to do, learn how to do. It's not, you know, coming this Sunday, next Sunday, this Sunday, next. God wants us to put our roots deep. 
getting into the Word every single day. Like this morning, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but every word. So, like, even though I had a little bit of a sleep in this morning, 6 o'clock, sleep in this morning, I knew I had to do some, still some prep um, for this morning, but, oh, what's happening in the world? No, what's happening in the Word? What's happening in the Word? And learning how to get my roots deep, and then taking every opportunity. I mean, I may be functioning apostolically. I may lead elder of eight congregations. I, I lead my own congregation now every Wednesday night. My church knows I will not put anything in my diary between 6.30 and 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night. Because I need my roots to go out. You, know, you don't get to a place in God's kingdom where suddenly you don't need the horizontal, or you just need leaders around you. So it's a priority for me. Every Wednesday night, I'm in community, and I'm sharing appropriately whatever my needs are. I'm there 99 times out of 100, I'm ministering to them. But then uh, my father passed away two years ago this uh, November time, you know, so then when you're going through hard times, had chronic health problems during COVID, you know, all those types of things. So I'm connected. I'm putting my roots out. I'm putting my roots down in my personal devotion as well. And then I love what it says about older people. Like, remember Aunt Peggy? I don't know what age she became a deacon at, probably near 90 or something, in her 80s anyway. But I love what's happening in our congregations with the older folks. Because that is, I think, what you see, the promise there of flourishing. You know, a lot of people, I'm going to retire, I'm going to take it easy. But actually, our best years can be our later years. I'm not being, you know, trite and saying your best years are always ahead of you. But they have studied this, and your best years can be those later years. Like a Caleb. And even in our congregations, in my congregations, we have some older folks. We have another congregation in the same town. And they have a few older folks, but they don't have the DNA. And I have 76-year-olds going to two congregations on a Sunday. They're evergreen. One of them, Linda, was the hospital said, like, get your family. You're about to die very soon. A year ago now. But... She decided to get planted in God's house. And as a 76-year-old, she's able to minister to the others. She, she has her own little outreach team. And on a Sunday night, she goes to this congregation. The older folks in this congregation are starting to catch what she catches, the heart of the church. So let me encourage you, no matter what age you are, it's never too late to start. They will remain evergreen. Okay, evergreen. Start today. So we see this devotion in the early church, and I'm almost finishing now. It says in Acts 4, 34, 35, there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. What a flourishing community. There was no need among them. Just let that sink in. There was, now we may want a lot of things, but there was no need. There was no need among them. Now God can provide meat from heaven, and He can provide what is it, manna from heaven. 
But here, what do we see is happening? Those that God is blessing are actually taking responsibility to ensure that every single member is cared for. You know, I'm sure there's a very, very generous congregation, and I'm sure mine is as well. But one of the problems we have is that people would rather send money around the world before helping somebody in their community group. Just sometimes it can happen. But the Bible says, let us do good, I think it's Galatians 6 and 1, let us do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. And so what have we got to offer the world unless we are all light here? And so I'm really encouraging in this, in this season, which I think for those of us who are more wealthy, have more margin to absorb, bigger shock absorbers. But I've been speaking to those who are on more modest incomes. And the reality is things are very tight. Is that correct? Very tight. And I think this is the great opportunity to be a light. You know, when ESCOM is switching off your lights, when fear is switching off your lights because of possible bills, actually, the world hears, no, there's a light in Josh Jen. <laughs> the lights are on. The lights are on in the homes. Food's on the table of Josh Jenner's. New congregations are being planted out of Josh Jen. Because those who had surplus, and that includes people like me, those who have surplus are actually providing for the needy. And that man who gave me a million rand, or gave the church a million rand, I mean, he was only, I mean, we prophesy in part, <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. He thought it was at that moment, 2008, but actually it was for a later time. And I think whether or not the storm comes in full force, we need to be living daily, meeting the needs of one another in the house, putting our roots out to one another, being a city on a hill, being a light on the stand. What can flourishing look like? It can be light, where there's what? Where there's darkness. It can, it can look like a feast where there's a... And it can look like what? Abundance where there's lack. But you and I need to learn how to position. There is no need among them. <laughs> like the prodigal, there is a feast in the father's house, but there is a famine in the community. So we need to get planted into God's house. And here's the promise when we get planted into Jesus and into his house. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. The thief came to rob and steal and destroy. But I have come. That life may not always look like what we think it's going to look like. But if we look at the New Testament church, we see a thriving church against all the odds. A miracle. Just as Israel were to be a light to the nations. That's the call on the church. To be a light. My goodness, what 
is happening there. Maybe the band could join me and we'll just respond to the Lord. Let's get to our feet here. Let me uh, pray over us. Let's get to our feet and the band can join me as well. What's the Lord saying today? What's the Lord saying today?